Hello, Ali and Graham. Hello. 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 <laughs> Welcome to History is Sexy. Hey. This is fun. Hey. It is fun. This is normally I come and visit you. This is the first time you've come to visit me. It feels like having people in my house. Like, you know, <laughs> don't mind the mess. Hope everything's okay. <laughs> Would you like a cup of tea? Yes. So, for people who are listening for the first time and don't know about Rex Factor, welcome to Ali Hood and Graham Duke from Rex Factor podcast, who rate and review initially English kings and queens, then Scottish kings and queens, and now every. Queen and Prince Consort. Yes. Until up to Prince Philip. Up to Prince Philip, yes, in England. Yes. And my favourite podcast, and if there is a podcast in this world that I go around kind of bullying people into listening to, then <laughs> it is Rex Factor. Ah, oh, brilliant. Oh. <laughs> Jason Isaacs goes around the world putting Kermode and Mayo onto other people's phones, <laughs> and I go around the world putting Rex Factor onto other people's uh, phones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what that Jason Isaacs thing is? Yeah. Hello to Jason Isaacs. Yeah, yeah. hello to Jason Isaacs. <laughs> He's got a T-shirt that says that. Yes, he is a witty uh, Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, so today we have a question about Anne Boleyn. And so I thought if anyone knows about Anne Boleyn, it is Rex Factor and it is Graham because you have done several episodes on Henry VIII and you did altogether five episodes on Anne Boleyn when you were reviewing her. Yes. And so I feel like... You must know her backwards and forwards now. And <laughs> you will be the right person. Five, you did, Three yes. normal ones and two Privy Chamber bonus <laughs> ones. Blimey. That's got to yeah. be the most we've done on one person, isn't it? We did five on Victoria. We must have done more of Victoria, yeah. Uh, right. Well, I much preferred Anne Boleyn, so this is good news. <laughs> yeah. You, and no one's going to do any voices of Victoria. So. <laughs> <laughs> so the question comes from Anna Goodmaker, and she has asked, how big of a queen spelt Q-W-E-E-N was Anne Boleyn? Which we figured would probably throw Ali as a question. Yeah. <laughs> so I have got the Urban Dictionary definition of it for you because I'm kind. Thank you. So <laughs> the Urban Dictionary definition is, and apologies for swearing here, <laughs> a beautiful girl who doesn't take disrespect from nobody. She is smart and does what she wants. She doesn't let nobody bully her. She kicks ass and she slays the fucking game. Loads. Big <laughs> <laughs> one of those, right? Yes. Yeah. So I figured we would talk a bit about who Anne Boleyn is. And I basically decided to define this as how much of a kick-ass was she? Like, how much of a badass woman is she? Of which I feel the answer is probably quite a lot. But yeah, we'll just talk about Anne Boleyn for a bit. And nice. all of the things that she did <laughs> and why we still talk about her and why we remember her as being like one of the big characters in English history, basically. And we're not going down the yeah. QI buzzer thing of was she really a queen because she got annulled and therefore Henry says that doesn't count. No, we're not. <laughs> she yeah. had a crown on her head and cool crown so it on counts. Her head. Yeah. And virtually everything that Henry did, like Mary was illegitimate and then was legitimate, then mm. Elizabeth was illegit legitimate and then illegitimate and then legitimate again. Like, can't take what Henry says for anything. He... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he even knew who was legitimate at any given point. <laughs> yeah. It was an absolute nonsense, wasn't it? Whatever whatever he says. Right, what do we give her and what score do we give her for Rex Factor? Well, so we score them out of battliness which is for the consorts, we generally look at their sort of their agency, independence of action, fighting their own corner. Their queeniness. 
scandal so the uh, the naughty stuff the stuff that'll be in the front page of the headlines and subjectivity which is where they do sort of lots of good deeds and would you want to be subject to them and then we also look at how mm. long they ruled for and how many legitimate surviving children they had so and scores a bit middling because as with all Henry VIII's six wives, longevity and <laughs> dynasty aren't particularly high scorers. So that sort of mm. almost halves your potential total from yeah. the off. Because she's only got three years as actual queen, mm. which is not very long before her head gets very thoroughly cut off. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Three so years? To, they're together for That's 10 years, but she's only actually queen yeah. for three. So, you know, in Henry's defence, he did try to have her made queen earlier. It's just that everyone kept <laughs> stopping did. him. Yeah. And she tried very hard to be queen long before she actually was the queen. Mm. So, mm. all right, we should probably position ourselves in history because we have lots of listeners from around the world who don't do Tudors when they're 10 and then also <laughs> again when they're 11 and 15 <laughs> and every 20 minutes in school. <laughs> so the Tudor period is the 16th century, basically. Henry VIII is your big H and... Mm. And comes into the scene. She's born 1501, except unless you're one random American woman who decided <laughs> that she was born in 1507 for absolutely no reason, as far as I can tell. What? Yeah, there's like one random American historian who got into some really serious beef with another American Tudor historian over Anne Boleyn and just decided out of nowhere that she was born in 1507. But everybody else says she was born in 1501. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love it when historians get into beefs like that's my favorite thing is when they get really passionately into like their one interpretation of something so there's like one guy who is absolutely obsessed that Amblin actually did commit adultery and he has this French poem that he claims proves it and he every so often like he died but he would review a book and every time he reviewed a book he'd be like and obviously and they think that she didn't even commit adultery and he would get really furious about it <laughs> but he's the only person who believes this but he is so committed to this belief that she actually was guilty of the adultery that she was that she was executed for <laughs> and it's really funny it's a good take for historiography though because it does mean that whenever people are talking about that you have to quote say, but in modern times, you do still have da 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 that thinks maybe yeah. she was guilty. So he's always in there now. He's, he's always in there. Yeah, it's like that. Once you have one guy who's obsessed with it, but he never translated the poem, so no, like it's really <laughs> hard to actually get hold of a copy of the poem. And it's just this French poem that nobody really is a hundred percent sure that it's by the person that it says it's by. It wasn't published until like fifteen years after he claimed it was written. Like, but he's obsessed with it. Anyway, so 1501, Graham, will you give a precis of Anne Boleyn's like early life? Yeah, so she's uh, the daughter of Thomas Boleyn and Elizabeth Howard. So her father's family's kind of mercantile stock rather than sort of big, famous, rich nobility, but their family's been on the rise. And her mother, Elizabeth Howard, is sister to the Duke of Norfolk. So that's one of the most senior nobles in the land. So her mother's very senior uh, figure at court. But her father in his own right is quite a talented linguist and diplomat. So he's quite well trusted by initially Henry VII and then Henry VIII. So he's sent all around Europe on various diplomatic jobs. Because of that, he gets Anne uh, a place at the court, initially of Margaret of Austria, who's regent in the Netherlands and is renowned as a politician and sort of cultural patron. And it's kind of a finishing school for Europe's noble children. They all go to be a bit more refined and educated. Uh, and then the following year, she goes off to France to join the court of Mary Tudor, which is Henry VIII's 
younger sister who marries the King of France. That marriage doesn't last very long because the king dies, but whilst Mary Tudor goes back and stays in France at the court of Charles I and his queen, and uh, then just really absorbs all sorts of French fashions and culture and courtly love, so sort of flirting, basically. <laughs> but also into, being French. Yeah, being French. But also sort of intellectual stuff like humanism and uh, religious reform that we ultimately would call Protestantism, but at the time they wouldn't have given it that term, but it's saying that they think that the Catholic Church needs to reform. So Anne's exposed to all of these ideas. And then when she comes back to England in 1522, when she's probably 21, um, she's not necessarily considered kind of a conventional beauty. So she's sort of slim, got quite a sort of narrow face, but very beguiling eyes, apparently. It's always the eyes, isn't it? It's always the eyes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> people, whenever they don't, don't know what else to say about people or whenever they're like, look, there's something about her, but we yeah. don't know what it is. <laughs> the thing about her is that she's kind of sexy and French and she's been hanging out with Margaret of Austria, who is this like incredibly important political figure. And also the French court is dominated by women as well because mm. Francis's mother and his sister are both like these smart, very well-educated, witty women who charm everybody around them and train up all of the women in the court to be basically cool young women, while in England, the English court is a bit stodgy. Mm. <laughs> what um, we call trouble. Training them up yes. to be ne'er-do-wells. Mm. Training them up to be trouble and then sending sexy young 21-year-olds who with their French fashions and their French flirting and their <laughs> extremely interesting intellectual ideas about the place of the king back to England to the a king who has been married for almost 20 years to Catherine of Aragon, who he's gone right off. Yeah. <laughs> because she keeps not having baby boys, which is very selfish of her. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it is unbelievable. There is a new book out recently, which is by John Guy and his wife, uh, Julia Fox, where they're, they're quite mean about poor old Catherine. And they describe her her kind of court as being a women's sewing circle. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the precise opposite of the French sexy lady mm. court. Yeah. And obviously Henry is also the king and he can shag whoever he wants. And he is also shagging Anne's sister. Mm. The oh, the other Berlin girl, of course. Yeah. yeah. From which she learns that if you let the king shag you, you lose all your power. <laughs> it's like Samson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you give in, then you lose everything. And it turns out that the, the king likes most of all what he cannot have. And so when he falls for Anne, when Anne turns up and is this flirtatious, pretty lovely eyed smart woman <laughs> and he sends her letters and says gosh you're the most beautiful thing i ever saw aren't you delightful and she says i'm not interested uh, Clever. <laughs> and goes off and flirts with other people she attempts to marry henry percy mm. but then cardinal woolsey gets involved and says that she's not allowed to marry him because she's in he's engaged to somebody else and he calls her a silly little girl or a foolish girl and she never forgives him. <laughs> yeah. And there is no way that Cardinal Wolsey, who at the time was like at the very top of the tree of, of influence over Henry, could ever know that this was going to come back and bite him mm. as badly as it did. <laughs> but God bless her, she nurses a grudge and leaves court, nurses that little grudge in her heart 
puts it to one side briefly, and then begins the great matter, as it becomes called, which is that she leaves court and Henry's like, what happened to that pretty girl that was around, <laughs> that was my mistress's sister? I, I miss her. I am going to start writing her letters and sending her presents, and I would like her to come back. And brilliantly, we have a surprising amount of those letters where he has written them with his own hand, where he says, written with my own hand or the hand of your servant who loves you. And a lot of them are him saying, I've sent you a beautiful bracelet and a buck that I killed. And... (laughs) I really miss you and I think that you are wonderful and if you could just say that you like me then that would be amazing <laughs> desperation is they're amazing and he hates writing as well Henry he really really hates <laughs> doing does. anything with paperwork so the fact that he's pouring out his heart time and time again in these letters isn't his usual modus operandi yeah and he does it does literally say things like if you could tell me that you like have any feelings for me whatsoever then i would really appreciate it um, and he's really soppy as well he's like no more to you at present my own darling for lack of time but that i wear in your arms or i in yours <laughs> and like um he or does also talk about her boobs in the weirdest way i've ever read <laughs> no. um, that he calls them duckies pretty duckies <laughs> Graham, you kept this from me. <laughs> I mean, technically not, but it might have passed. It definitely didn't, but <laughs> I, really I can see can't... why you would repress the knowledge. <laughs> uh, really? I can't believe I forgot that. It was, in oh, fairness yeah. to Henry, a Tudor slang for breast rather than simply Henry's own weird <laughs> take. <laughs> I think that the image Ducky. of Henry VIII, who's in his like 30s at this point, he's still kind of, it's just before his accident, so he's not mm. kind of, he hasn't put on all his weight and become a massive tyrant yet. So he's still a bit got something going for him. But still, there's something grotesque about Henry VIII saying pretty duckies. There's <laughs> something um, very grotesque about it. Of whatever time. Yeah. <laughs> duckies. Yeah, I think it might explain why he had trouble like having sons. <laughs> but also why it took so many letters to convince her as well, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. she's like, ooh, no, yeah. ooh, God. Kramner, how many Ks in duckies? <laughs> Is that the right letter? Cranmer? Uh, not around yet because Cranmer oh. is one of Anne's. So Anne brings in Cranmer after she has kind of reeled Henry in with this either actual lack of interest because <laughs> we don't have any of her letters, mm. unfortunately. He presumably destroyed them or they were never saved. The letters that we have are all in the Vatican archives, <laughs> which is fun to imagine how the Vatican got hold of Henry VIII's letters. Yes, especially his love letters. They would have absolute. That would be gold for them, right? We've got our arch nemesis and yeah. his most personal moments. <laughs> yes, I imagine that there some popes and some cardinals had a really good time yeah. having them sent to him by some ambassadors. Yeah, and reading them, and because he at this time is obviously pressuring the entirety of Europe very, very hard to let him divorce Catherine of Aragon because she won't give him a son, and she can't. She 
has, and he stopped sleeping with her, so she's not going to give him a son anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he just badly wants to divorce her. He can't divorce her because it's illegal and also because her nephew is the king of Spain. Mm. And Spain are too important to upset. And so no one will let him divorce her. And so the fact that he is writing love letters and promising that he will be only faithful to and that he wishes that he could be with her and that they could get married and that he wants to spend all of his time with her and that he says something like I wish that my heart is dedicated only to you I wish my body was so too Uh, God can do it if he pleases to whom I pray once a day to that end and the Vatican have got this letter saying that I'm basically praying that my wife will either die or let me do so I can marry you yeah scandal yeah. <laughs> yeah. European-wide scandal, which is extremely fun. I bet that the whole of Europe was just like on fire talking about this. Yeah, it must have been the the well, we as you say we did five episodes on her. It still resonates today. Europe must have been watching this like the final episode of Neighbors or something. Or yeah, a more but... appropriate reference. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. the only cultural comparison I could think that even comes close <laughs> to the last episode of Neighbours. Friends. Yeah. There you go. Even that's friends. quite dated now, isn't it? That's 20 years ago. No, know. kids love Friends again now. Kids oh, are massively really? into it. Yeah. yeah right. All the teenagers are into Friends again. Huh. Yeah, it's great. I say great. It's weird because it feels like they're watching my childhood in a retro fashion and I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they should have their own childhood things. Mm. It'll happen to them. One day, all of the people who are 15 now will suddenly discover that they're 40 and that all of the things that they love are old. <laughs> exactly. I, was, I had yeah. a chat with, um, I was speaking to an employee the other day who has started working with her friend. She said, oh, I've known her for over five years. <laughs> I've known employees longer than that. <laughs> oh, sweet. It's a good proportion of their life, though. That's sweet. Yeah, that is a good chunk of your life when you're like 20. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, I work with like 24-year-olds and they're all like, and they keep saying things like, oh, I'm 24 years old and I've not even done this. And like, you're 24 years old, you're barely breathing. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm it. astonished that you're allowed a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we're now 15, 27. They appear in public for the first time. And um, I'm going to let Graham talk about their relationship once they get into the public eye and kind of start appearing as if they are a couple. Well, yeah, because um, when Henry's initially writing, he's initially just thinking she'll be his mistress like uh, her sister was. So it's only because Mm. Anne keeps saying no that she'd never be a mistress that he eventually says, right, let's do the marriage thing. But he doesn't, he thinks it'll be quite easy to uh, ditch Catherine Aragon because actually kings have done that before. It's usually quite easy and it's kind of in people's interest. He doesn't have a son. He thinks it'll be fine. The complication, he said, was partly that the her Catherine of Aragon's nephew is the king of Spain and also Holy Roman Emperor. So he is kind of this bigwig, but also just at the point that Henry's going to ask the Pope, who previously Henry's been like goody two shoes, defender of the faith, Pope's favourite little boy. <laughs> Just at that moment, Catherine Rangan's nephew takes the Pope basically hostage, sacks <laughs> Rome, bringing back the old times, and uh, is thus the Pope not in a position to let Henry divorce the Holy Roman Emperor's aunt. So Henry and Anne start yeah. appearing in public as if 
they are uh, a couple and everyone is noting how Henry is just completely besotted with her. She's got this complete hold over him. Whatever she wants, she gets. And yet Catherine is also still at court. So you said, well, yeah. Catherine at court, you've got Henry <laughs> They're and all Anna in the court, same room. All in the same room. There's even this sort of, it's possibly a puck full with this legend about Catherine and Anne playing chess together. And, oh, no, not chess, it was cards. And Catherine says about how you, I fancy you're trying to get the king or something like that. Because ah. Anne was one of Catherine's ladies, so obviously they would probably have played cards and all sorts of things yeah. together. Oh, man, that's awful. Mm. For it Catherine. Is. Poor Catherine, but Catherine's such like Catherine in and of herself. Uh, one of the great things, the reason, one of the reasons why I'm always telling people about Rex Factor is that um, she has this image of like kind of sad lady sitting in a yeah. in a tower just weeping and being abandoned. Yeah, but actually she is on completely unbowed by any of this, and that could she? Because at any point she could say fine. Okay, mm. but she's like, no, I'm a queen. Mm. Like, yeah. you're not getting rid of me, and I'm not going anywhere, and I am going to stay here and make this as difficult as possible for every single one of you. Yeah, she's um, awesome, isn't she? I, like, she uh, is. I was so not expecting that when we reviewed her. Um, but uh, yeah, she gave as good as she got. She was like the yes. uh, immovable object and unstoppable force. Yeah, together in one and room. she's the only one who ever, you know, led an army into battle. Yeah, and yeah. so she, so uh, while everybody is writing letters all around uh, Europe, arguing that she wasn't a virgin when she married Henry because she was previously married to his brother, and asking questions about whether her dispensation to marry Henry was allowed and whether it was clear enough that she wasn't a virgin, and talking about her in these terrible way, mm-hmm. really, <laughs> she's sitting there like. No, I'm uh, I'm going nowhere, and I'm going to make this uncomfortable. And uh, <laughs> you're all going to have to work as hard as possible around this. Yeah. Um, and Anne, uh, because Anne is equally an unstoppable object, does, and so she starts seeding the court and seeding the church in England with reformers and then she approaches Henry with in what I think it must have been one of the riskiest maneuvers because this could have had her head cut off just by itself she approaches him with a copy of William Tinsdale's works about church reformation with highlighted sections about how the head the king can have um, spiritual authority within his country over and above the Pope, which is the kind of thing that has had when Tinsdale in exile for a very long time and has had people executed for heresy and excommunicated and could very well have gone in a very different direction if Henry hadn't been quite so smitten (laughs) with her and ready to get Mm. rid of to, to basically do anything that he could. Um, and it's this action and all of these actions where she she uses her um, influence over Henry uh, to put in place people like Cranmer to help Thomas Cromwell rise through the ranks, um, to get rid of Cardinal Wolsey and to shape the church hierarchy in such a way that people will be ready to support her rather than to support the Catholic Church in Rome. And as a result, she is, if not the, then certainly a driving force between the ref- behind the Reformation mm. in England. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because cause it's one of those weird things you often see with tyrants that they like to do things the legal way. 
or (laughs) ostensibly the legal way. So Henry really goes to all the efforts that he can to legally get rid of his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. So like he gets the Pope to send another cardinal over to oversee this trial to rule on it. He tries all these various ways to try and persuade Catherine and it all fails. So that's why Anne is able, like you were saying, to get her revenge on Wolsey because she basically is like, look, this guy isn't helping. He's not going to help anything more. He's obviously failed. And it's quite, I like the fact that it's her, it's sort of an intellectual version of Anne that ultimately provides the reason. So it's not just that she comes along, bats her beguiling eyes at him and then click she's the queen she has to have the solution and as you said the fact that henry was previously a very devout catholic so the pope named him defender of the faith because he wrote this vitriolic attack against martin luther yeah how bad all the protestant stuff was so as you say it was a real risk that Anne gets him to look at this text which he would previously have called heretical but he's very open to her suggesting it and i guess also on a basic level he's quite open to a text which says you know what i think actually kings should be more powerful (laughs) than they already are (laughs) Yeah. yeah i think that you should be able to do whatever you like yeah but she does it very cleverly because the argument is that this is a, a right that you have always had and you just need to exercise it. This mm. isn't something new. This is a, an ancient English right that you are exercising that you can assert over the, the bishops in your realm that so you can uh, have what you need and also much more powerful. And, and look, I've put all of these people in and all of these people agree with me. And here's Cranmer. Would you like to meet Cranmer? Um, he, we could make him the Archbishop of Canterbury and he'll support you in everything and also me. Um, and her family are also very helpful because they're reformers. And so Thomas and George, they're all supporting bishops in various different places. Her family and her kind of intellectual interest in this, I think this is like one of the real ways in which she is so important to English history because she pushes this, she pushes that domino that then hits so many dominoes that trickle down into England's place within Europe. We did an episode a a few months ago about um, how England, how the United Kingdom came to be. And so much of the reason that Ireland became part of the United Kingdom, Wales became officially part of the kingdom, why he, Henry got really invested into pushing into Scotland and the rough wooing is because he's he starts this reformation thing which upsets everybody so much because of Anne that he has to consolidate the United Kingdom of Great Britain into one thing um, and so all of this happens because of because Anne takes him that mm. that book at the right time and as a result you get the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland blimey <laughs> I know <laughs> um, and so but so much of why the UK exists as it does is because of Henry um, mm. having to consolidate his own power at home because he's got so little anywhere else because of Anne and because everybody hates Anne so much <laughs> um, and she's so unpopular. Um, and when he does manage to, uh, he has his secret court and he has her, he has his marriage annulled and Mary becomes illegitimate and then he ma- kind of he tries to make these overtures to France, which he uses Anne for. This is also a very cool thing about Anne that I like, which is that she becomes the first ever woman to be made a peer in her own right. Mm. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, because she is not from a, a peerage family. She's not from a family with titles. And so when they go to meet the King of France, she technically can't go um, because like she's David not. Cameron. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's exactly the same. So she, he can't technically be foreign secretary, so they had to make him a lord because he's not an MP. Yeah. She's not allowed to meet the King of France in her position in the English court because she's not the queen. And so he makes her a Marcus. Wow. <laughs> so that, that she can go and dance with the King of France. But there's, there, are there other women who are who have that status, but it's just inherited rather than given to yeah. them? Yeah, so either through marriage ones, or... Yeah, either marriage or their father having been the Duke or the Earl or whatever, they will have taken that on, but Anne doesn't, or her family don't have any claim to this at all. It's purely created just for mm. her. That's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, mm. um, which is pretty good. <laughs> it doesn't go very well because um, she is not able really to woo the French into what he needs but um she does woo henry and they um get pregnant to his great delight to everyone else's great stress mm. because he's still married to catherine <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, and she is not the queen and so within about a five day period in 1532 they have to bang through a load of um a load of edicts that actually Mary is illegitimate and that they are uh, married and that it could, she can be the queen and bish bash bosh, she can be crowned in 1532. They um, wheel her out as quick as they can before she starts showing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, and she gets to be the only queen consort ever to be crowned with St. Edward's crown, Ooh. the one that they crown kings with. Yeah, because I was Lovely. interested in reading that there was a point where apparently Henry was thinking of a sort of a Byzantine-style thing where they would almost be like emperor and empress and have both have kind of full uh, executive power. But thought better of that. I thought, <laughs> I'll just I'll give the crown, but actually I'll, I'll keep all of the actual power. I can imagine that he floated that in conversation and everybody... Just yeah. went, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Not her. That's mad. But, yeah, but everybody else is... Um, there isn't really an official queen consort crown. Like, everybody gets... The consorts all get crowned with a different one, depending on how any given monarch is feeling. But she gets crowned with the proper monarch mm. crown and technically, therefore, is the first queen to be to be crowned. And she has this massive coronation that everybody... Uh, is very unhappy about. <laughs> um, yeah. So she is the queeniest queen, really, because she's yeah. the only one that... And she made herself queen. Like, she created the the conditions by which she could overthrow her predecessor. Uh, and not that many consorts get to overthrow their predecessor. Mm. And it you, feels like slightly just... less exciting as a thing, given that how ultimately Henry's... <laughs> Next few years go, it becomes quite a common thing for about a five year yeah. spell. But until that True. point, she starts a trend. Yeah. I would mm. say prior to She's that point, it never happened. Yeah. <laughs> Up until that point, it never happened, and then everyone was like, "Oh, well, that looks like something I could do <laughs> as well." Yeah, but she does yeah. it through, um, as you're saying, through actual diplomacy and skill, political skill, rather than rather than just her looks. Or having yeah. Henry do it, and it feels like after this, Henry was uh, on going by her coattails. She's she she showed how it could be done, and then they carried yeah. on. 
<laughs> and then he carries on. Um, because unfortunately, everything that he loves about her as a um, as a partner um, is everything that he does not like about her at all as a wife. Uh, uh, <laughs> all of her... Yeah. Her, her intelligence and her independence and her insistence on doing what she wants to do and having her own independent thought mm. and maintaining her own um, her her own interests are very much things that he is he is not a fan of in mm. a wife as it turns out. Yeah, and she doesn't like him he having mistresses to... either, which. Weird, yeah. Also never mind <laughs> which, too much uh, openly, at least. It really object. blows his mind. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, and then even worse, she has this baby that is conceived possibly in France, and uh, it's it's a boy without a winky. Oh no! Yeah, that's the worst. It's, it is. It's Elizabeth, and all of the celebrations that Henry had planned are cancelled, <laughs> which is awful. And that just that seems to immediately sour so much about their relationship the fact that she has had a girl she becomes immediately quite paranoid and i think the worst thing about her by quite a long way is how she treats mary Mm. because she is appalling to mary like Mm. she openly will say to her oh if i'm ever left alone with her she's dead (laughs) (laughs) what and she has mary act as a basically a maid to Mm. elizabeth when elizabeth is born and she has her beaten when she won't like call her the queen and she is and she openly threatens repeatedly to kill her and that she will get rid of her if she has any chance to whatsoever and she's really really awful to mary for kind of no reason like she won (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just kicking someone when they're down. Although, not to uh, condone threatening to kill uh, your <laughs> stepdaughter <laughs> when you're not a Disney character. But I suppose <laughs> the tricky thing for Anne is that although like, it took six years for her to get to be queen, from the point at which Henry's like, right, we're going to get married, to actually marrying, becoming queen takes six years. But Catherine of Aragon is still alive. She is. <laughs> and lots of people in England and obviously particularly in Europe still think Catherine is the legitimate queen. That You can't do it like this. Catherine's still the real queen and not a proper queen. And therefore, a lot of people think, well, this Elizabeth girl isn't the legitimate heir. It's still Mary. Mm-hmm. And Mary is, yeah. you know, coming up to you know, be 18. Elizabeth's obviously just a little baby. So if Henry dies at this point... Anne's prospects or Elizabeth's prospects are really quite uncertain because you've got Spain who would come in hard behind Mary. You've got lots of Catholics, which most of the country still is fully Catholic and not really behind Anne's Reformation. So Anne's position weirdly is always quite weak as queen because she doesn't have the son. Yeah. While she's only got a daughter, she's really under threat. So Catherine Aragon's still there and is a threat. Mary is a threat to her. I think she does say at one point, like it's, she doesn't literally say it's either her or me, but she does sort of recognise that they can't both succeed in life. It's going to be one or the other. Yeah. And she does sort of try to persuade Mary. She puts out some feelers and is sort of saying, you know, if you'll just recognise me as as queen, you don't have to necessarily bow and scrape, but just an acknowledgement of my status. Yeah. And then I'll put in a good word for you with Henry. 
and Mary's uh, always quite snarky in response and says, yeah, thanks. It'd be great if you could talk to my dad. Um, obviously, my queen is, uh, my mother is the only queen in England, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Obviously, I hate you and everything you stand for. But if you want to help, yeah, fine. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Mary doesn't help herself. But to be fair, you wouldn't. So I don't know that I would side with my dad over Catherine. No, like, Mary's position is totally understandable. Yeah. But for yeah. that, Mary is a threat. Yeah, and they, if you're looking to the future, then you probably do want her somewhere in a tower locked away so that she cannot speak to the Spanish yeah. at all. <laughs> mm. And you have people like Chapuis who are around who are still refusing to acknowledge Anne as queen. Like, and she has to trick him eventually into oh, yeah. bowing to yeah. her because there are enough people at court who hate her so much and refuse to acknowledge that she is really the queen that you can... I can understand the bad temper to a certain degree, but yeah. but she is nonetheless kind of a dick. Yes. <laughs> right up until the point when Catherine of Aragon does actually die and they have a really terrible January in 1536 where Catherine of Aragon dies, which technically good news, everybody wears yellow and celebrates, which is lice. Mm. And then five days later, Henry has his terrible accident where he is knocked unconscious. Is that five days later? Yeah. I didn't realise it was that close. That's brilliant. I mean, not brilliant, and but you know. <laughs> it's a really dramatic time. And yeah. then the stress of that all happening causes Anne to have a miscarriage. And the mm. child that she miscarriages is a boy. Oh, God. And Henry comes round from his, like hours of unconsciousness which is like a really bad thing to happen mm -hmm. like if you are unconscious for a time then that's like a serious brain injury yeah <laughs> unlike in agatha christie novels where people are getting knocked out all the time yeah. if you're unconscious for 45 minutes and something's gone wrong like mm. Mm. and they had the miscarriage happens on the day of catherine's funeral and henry basically refers to it openly as a punishment from god that god will not let him have a son and goes very cold on Anne immediately and conveniently there is a young lady in waiting hanging around his current wife called Jane Seymour who mm. is also coy and shy and doesn't seem to be returning his affections and so he just switches seems like he switches feelings real hard real fast to like mm. oh, okay this one didn't work out on to the next lady in waiting and poor Anne is left basically being snubbed by him in public, not in any way receiving the amount of adoration and waiting on that he had previously. Up to this point, everybody has said, oh my God, he adores her. He will follow her anywhere. He will fawning at her feet. And then all of a sudden it is, she's had this miscarriage. He's had an accident. Catherine's dead. And he is basically ignoring her in court and not anywhere near as effusive as he previously was and is very clearly interested in somebody else, <laughs> which Loki sends Anne a bit mad. <laughs> mm. I mean, that is a hell of a month, isn't it? Lo uh, it old is queen a dead, yeah. interim queen no longer popular, and we've got someone else on the horizon. Yeah. It's like a conservative party. <laughs> Topical humour alert. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And weirdly, Catherine dying is quite bad for Anne in a funny way. It should have been like the great moment that finally... Anne is uncontestably the queen, and if she had had a son at that point, it would have been absolutely perfect. But the flip side of that is that, well, now Catherine is dead, that means for Henry that 
any wife I take now, no one's going to say she's not my proper <laughs> wife because Catherine's dead. So it kind of makes it a bit easier if Anne's out of the way than wife number three all of those complications are going to go. So yeah. while Catherine was there, he kind of had to be all in on Anne because he defined basically everything he was doing by being right about that. Now Catherine's dead. Ah, I can change my mind now, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A different direction. What are they going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah. Anne has spent 10 years being the most adored person in, in Henry's life and does not take enormously well to not being the most adored person in his life. And then she also has a massive falling out with Thomas Cromwell um, mm. over two things, over the dissolution of the monasteries, which to her credit, Anne, um, Anne wants all of the monasteries to be turned into educational facilities and places for the poor. And Thomas Cromwell does not. He wants to sell it all. <laughs> and so they have a massive, a massive falling out over whether the dissolution of the monasteries is the right thing to do, over how they are doing it. And over, it sounds really petty now, like, but this is a really big deal in the mm. Tudor court over what they're going to do with this. And then also that it seems that Cromwell is hanging out with Chapuis too much and talking a bit much about getting them back in with the Spanish and maybe they could get Mary back into the line of legitimacy. And she finds out about this and they, without Cromwell she is left kind of defenseless because he is her main ally other than Cranmer, who is goes wherever the wind blows to a certain degree. He turns against her as very hard. Mm. But this falling out leaves her with basically no allies in the court because nobody likes her. She's not very good at building relationships other than Henry. Mm -hmm. And then when people come forward or when... Cromwell manages to stir up some people who claim that they have had some conversations with her that are adulterous, which are amazingly, then they're, they're such thin gruel <laughs> as scandal goes. <laughs> like after everything she's done, the fact that she is executed for saying, you fancy me to yeah. a guy called Henry Norris <laughs> is wild because basically there is a guy musician who says basically he likes looking at her and he says a look sufficed to me. And a guy called Henry Norris, who obviously fancies her, and she says, if Henry was dead, you would try to have sex with me. And those two conversations get reported and get turned into an enormous trial for adultery. She's unlucky as well that she, um, when she's in prison for those two conversations, she thinks, oh, I just wait, if, if they're taking all of this out of context, what about a couple of these other conversations I had <laughs> where we talked about this? So it's like, right, arrest them as well. Yeah, mm. I mean, just chuck them on the list. Yeah. Because... Yeah, it is. Technically, she is being over familiar. And when she, she says something to Henry Norris, she says, you look to dead men's shoes and mm. discussing. Uh, you find this in a lot of tyrannical courts, even mentioning the possibility of the death of the monarch counts as treason. And then she is found guilty of uh, of adultery with her brother. And the I'm not going to read them because the descriptions of like what they say about she did with her brother that of them snogging are genuinely disgusting and lead me to suggest that the Tudors should never have been allowed to have sex ever. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she's put on trial and she is basically unable to talk her way out of it because Cromwell is Cromwell and he's very, very good at what he does and he wants her gone. Henry wants her gone because he's moved on and she can't give him what he wants. And the only other people she has really are George, her brother, 
who I always think it's quite sweet that the first thing that she says when she is put into prison is she asks about her brother and her father. Mm. She's always very invested in whether they're okay. She never has any interest in her sister or her mother. (laughs) (laughs) I do get the feeling she might have been one of those people who said she wasn't like other girls. (laughs) But yeah, she's found guilty of, of all these things because she has nobody who will stand up for her and because Cranmer, who is potentially the person, she's made him the Archbishop of Canterbury. He's potentially the one person that you would say might stand up for her and the best he can do is to say, oh, it seems hard to believe. (laughs) And obviously I do believe it, but it seems very hard to believe. And then he very happily oversees her trial, oversees the signing of the laws that say that she was illegitimate and that her marriage was invalid. And then she is executed. Henry kindly gets in somebody to chop her head off cleanly, a French executioner, which is nice. But she is... Yeah, has her head cut off in the Tower of London and becomes the first queen to be executed as mm. well. Another trend she she keeps yes, going. Yeah, of trends. <laughs> yeah. It, you're so right that a brief all these, but intense trend. Yeah, yeah, all these firsts that she did get are diluted by the fact that others come after so quickly that to you know have suffer, either suffer the same fate or usurp the one before. But what she did the first time round is amazing. So it's proper it end of that neighbour stuff. <laughs> it is. It's a proper, like, you know, showstopper of a of a career that she has. Mm. And really it's only like 10 years from meeting Henry through to being executed. And during mm. that time she manages to overthrow her predecessor, kickstart the Reformation and the dissolution of the monasteries and start the Church of England, yeah. <laughs> turn England into a Protestant country kind of start the whole thing where England stands alone as as the UK within Europe, Hmm. get herself arrested and have her head cut off, uh, thus being executed. And that, as careers go, I mean, that's that's a tiring 10 years, Mm. I would say. Mm. And she has two children during that time. Yeah. And she's the mother of Elizabeth I. And she's the mother of Elizabeth I. Yeah. Yeah. What was her biggest mistake then? Was it... Um, alienating Cranmer and Cromwell. That's what I mean. Presumably, Cram was it? Do I mean Cranmer? She doesn't Cranmer. really alienate Cranmer. Cranmer's kind of a bit confused when the dissolution argument's happening, where Cromwell's saying money, 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 and and saying education, education, education. <laughs> there is a point where Cranmer writes to Cromwell. It's like I'm really confused. What's going on here? <laughs> if you say this is happening, it's happening. But if she says this is happening, it's happening. And you're saying very different things. Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. is that why she, he's made to stand preside over her trial so that uh, it's even her allies? Well, he presides her. over the the sort of process he, by which she's being made illegitimate. Yeah, yeah. It's, her, it's her uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, who presides oh, yes. over yes. trial of her and his nephew George as well. Yeah. Yes, and everyone is very happy to agree that she. Like, although the evidence is flimsy at best, they are happy to just make up quite graphic stories about how much she was kind of a slut because they just hate her so much. And I think that that is her main failing is that although she wins over Henry, she alienates basically everybody else in the process. And she has nobody on her side and people really intensely dislike her. Like mm. as a person, <laughs> and that's 
That's what she does. Even for her Cromwell. own uncle. Yeah. Yeah. And she like she because she builds up Cromwell, but she throws over Cardinal Wolsey, who is his patron. So she oh, he's yes. never a hundred percent on her side. But she mm. is so the court requires you to have more than one ally, especially when that ally is Henry, who is especially after this point, to be fair, she probably couldn't have known that he would have a terrible head injury and then become <laughs> absolutely deranged <laughs> but you need to have a faction of people who are going to help you out you need more than one person on your side because henry will listen to whoever is closest to at the time and that person doesn't hang around that long so mm. she's so unpopular with the people who like boo her and there's a point where she's on procession where she says you know i saw an awful lot of closed mouths and hats on heads <laughs> because people aren't delighted to see her and in the court there are enough people including ambassadors who refuse to acknowledge her as being legitimate at any point even when she's at the top of her game that she just doesn't seem to have that ability to like bring people to her side or to make people like her or want to root for her that is a real failing and you i think you really see it in the court transcripts when people are almost gloating about how thrilled they are that she has fallen gosh no soft power <laughs> no soft power except mm. over henry briefly mm. and that relies very heavily on her having a son that she doesn't have gosh it's terrifically queenie with a w <laughs> it is terrifically queenie she takes absolutely no shit mm. and she like technically Apart from the one thing she can't control, which is the gender of her child, she absolutely kicks ass and doesn't let anybody bully her. She does a lot of the bullying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, she does. What? Okay, so here's the the definition: is she's a beautiful girl, but she has nice eyes. Nice eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't take any disrespect from nobody. Well, she threatens to murder Mary repeatedly. So yeah, she's smart and does what she wants when she wants. Yes. Definitely. Doesn't let nobody bully her. She kicks ass and she slays the fucking game. I mean, that could, yeah, that is an exact description of her, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. It is. It was kind of designed for her. Yeah. Um, One of my favourite things of that, when in like the fifth, was it, uh, early period of when he's trying to get rid of her, but before, uh, not get rid of Anne, get rid of Catherine, but before the marriage has ultimately come to pass. Is all the people who get, so like Charles Brandon, the Duke of Suffolk, who's like one of Henry's best mates. So that's a Superman in the Tudors, as we always call him, oh, yeah. Henry Cavill. <laughs> um, he really doesn't like her at all because he's married to Mary Tudor that she was initially with uh, in France, who really looks down on her. So they're kind of a bit more Team Catherine. But, you know, he gets sent away from court when he doesn't show enough respect and she starts putting it about that he's sleeping with his stepdaughter or something like that. She adopts as a motto, let them grumble when everyone's <laughs> having a go at her, which is very much just a definition of a queen. <laughs> queen. Yeah. yeah. Not taking anything from <laughs> anyone. like two steps away from let them say hate me so long as they fear me. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I don't doubt at all that she would have actually killed Mary, given a chance. Oh, yeah. If Henry had died in that accident and she had been left as regent mm. or had been... I think it would, I mean, there's an alternate history where there's terrible wars that yeah. follow Henry dying because like not everybody was 100% happy with Tudors at the best times and then mm. you'd get, have 
the Spain would get involved mm. and it would be disastrous. But I do strongly suspect that one of the first things she would have done is have hit Mary yeah. strangled politely somewhere. Um, she, would, she would have gloated in it as well. She would have been an absolute... I mean, we think Henry's a tyrant, but I think she would have been <laughs> awful. <laughs> Quite possibly, yes, to a little baby Elizabeth. <laughs> and she would have been trying to get Elizabeth married off to a French king. Mm-hmm. They did try to have Elizabeth married to the French Dauphin and the French said, no, but we're quite interested in Mary. (laughs) 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 Which is, I think, the worst possible thing they could have said. Yeah. Did Mary, Mary didn't, of course she didn't in the end. So that that was probably just calculated to annoy her. (laughs) I think that they wanted that Spanish alliance that would have come with Mary. Oh, yeah. Because if you, the problem with Anne is that she offers Elizabeth nothing except English, yeah. the English crown. Like the reason that you don't generally go around as a king marrying English women <laughs> yeah, is they that don't bring hmm. they don't bring anything to the table. Yeah. I mean, you need a Spanish queen or a, a French queen or a Dutch queen or something hmm. that can bring an alliance. And Anne doesn't offer anything other than the Boleyn family, which is not that exciting to mm. the French. <laughs> mm. Mm. But she, you know, we, you've been doing the consoles. There are not that many English women who get to marry the king and actually be a queen for that exact mm. reason. And for that, she gets a gold star as well for managing to persuade Henry that he doesn't even need to marry another Spanish queen or mm. he doesn't need an alliance with anybody else. He only needs himself because he is so great. And to talk him into that by itself is pretty good. And she just tears up so much of what was there as before. So like she said with the Reformation and how that is such a before and after moment in English history, it's such a big yeah. change. But it's also like the what happens even during that time. So like Thomas More, who's one of the most respected sort of intellects in Europe at that point, he's executed because he won't accept the marriage or the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Cardinal Fisher is another major intellect and a supporter of Catherine he gets executed at the same time. And it's not that it's all on Anne, but equally she is kind of a factor in all of this happening. The fact that she takes on Cromwell over the dissolution at a time when she must know that she's not exactly in Henry's, yeah. top of Henry's affections. And it's the same thing, like she, she took down Wolsey, she tried to take down Cromwell, she wanted to be in control of the Reformation like she was in control of the great matter. She's like, she's picking fights with everybody all the way through. She never really lets anyone get on mm. top. Mm. Yeah, she never backs down. Yeah. Ultimately to her uh, downfall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it often happens. But but it, it's incredibly impressive, really, that she thinks that she can have as much of a say over the religious character of the entire country, mm-hmm. basically, <laughs> that she can be like, this is... This is something that I have very strong opinions of and I think that I should be allowed to... Con- I think I should be in charge of this, actually. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I mean, the whole thing to me, I mean, there's not much to like, really, I mean, in her personality. How good were these eyes? <laughs> <laughs> I, You know, I reckon she was probably great when Henry was around, like... Yeah, but yeah. I mean, quite Completely difficult. Completely turned it on. I bet, like, she was spitting venom left, right, and centre, and Henry comes in, and she's all sweetness and light. Yeah, 
or telling him off like a naughty boy, which he secretly loves. One of the two. Yeah. There's a fun <laughs> bit where he's um, when he does still have Catherine and Anne in the same under the same roof, which is obviously you know like if anyone's been to Hampton Court or whatever, quite a lot of big roof rather than just you know a small house, but where he has an argument with Catherine. Catherine kind of gets the better of him, as she always does, and he goes off in a strop, complains about it to Anne. And then Anne has a go at Henry as well, because she says, I told you you should never argue with her. She always gets to the better of her. Why do you always do this? And then he goes off, and you sort of say, oh, well, you kind of feel sorry for him, because he's just been... <laughs> <laughs> he keeps ending up with these incredibly smart women who are much stronger than him. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Next time, third time lucky, not going for that at all. Yeah. Next time, one with no opinions whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, Anne would have been more sympathetically if you'd met Anne in like 1525 or something before she gets sucked into the whole Henry thing. I, I imagine she would have come across as much more sympathetic because she obviously, like, she's meant to be very witty, yeah, very confident in herself. We said she's got all this, the French skills of love and romance and flirting, etc. So I think she probably is quite a vivacious and fun character. And maybe she always would have been a bit, I don't know, bitchy or spiteful or something. Maybe she always would have had a bit of an edge to her. But I think it's the what she has to become by marrying Henry and the way that she becomes yeah. queen, it, it really just takes all of the rest of it out of it. And every now and again, you get a bit of the acerbic humour and it probably just upsets everybody even mm. more. Whereas maybe if she was just the Duchess of Northumberland or something, as she would have hoped to yeah. have been, then it's a bit more fun. And she like upset I think she would people, have been but... like a delightful Georgiana kind of character yeah. like she would have been witty and fun and like when, right up until the end she always maintains her composure and like there's a bit where like before she dies she's still joking about and being like oh I hear that it's, it doesn't hurt that much and mm. it'll probably be more painful for you than it will be for me and that kind of thing I only have a little neck exactly <laughs> it'll probably be very easy and you know being quite vivacious even when she is basically being led to the chopping block and so she probably would have been if she'd just been in the court if he had got decided that mary was the one to go for if he'd met jane beforehand or something then there's a whole different life where she's just quite delightful mm. but she gets so stuck with henry who kind of poisons everything he touches <laughs> that he poisons her as well <laughs> yeah i mean to be fair she's under a lot of stress and pressure isn't she She's responsible for the entire Reformation. Mm. <laughs> like, that's a lot to be dealing with, all those monasteries. Yeah. Well, a bit of sympathy at the end then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you do. I think that Henry's the only one that you've... Uh, like, mm. Henry's the one who is basically poisoning everything as he wades through life. Yeah, yeah, everything he touches doesn't turn to gold, does it? <laughs> and it's the start of the point at which, basically you can't survive that court without taking others down. And it sort yeah. of feels like that's the first point. And Catherine Aragon is like the last person probably at the court who is just about untouchable, even for Henry. Yeah. But after that, the rest of the reign is just different factions just trying to destroy each other. Yeah, really poisonous, toxic atmosphere rather than the one of uh, the Renaissance prince. Mm. Yeah, and everybody just backstabbing one another and... And poor old Anne gets stuck in it. But but she was... I'm glad she exists. Yeah. Because I think that she is just such a 
like her story doesn't feel like it could possibly be real almost it feels like like she comes out of nowhere seduces the king changes the entirety of european politics and the church and then is killed for nothing it's like it feels like a soap opera and then yeah gold star queenliness for her i mean i'm glad i didn't live in her yes yeah she (laughs) is i think the the metric by which other queens of the w is are measured yeah fair (laughs) and it's good that she goes down in uh, a burst of sort of flames and disaster because if she had just sort of backed down and gone to a nunnery or something like that you know it's always a bit disappointing when the the fighters just cave in a little bit but she Mm. keeps fighting right to the end yeah Mm. it would actually yeah imagine if she had just gone off to a nunnery and died at 77 or something what an awful life that would have been for her disappointing (laughs) ending Sometimes a narrative has to come first, right? <laughs> um, and as narratives go, this is a good one. All right. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me about Anne Boleyn. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, thank you for having us. How queenly she is and also learning what a queen with a W is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> Feel free. Glad that I've um, introduced it into your life or that Anna <laughs> has introduced it into your life. Yeah. Thanks, Oliver. so um if people want to find you where can they find you you can we do actually have a website now after uh, over 10 years of podcasting we have a website so it's (laughs) rexfactorpodcast.com basically if you just look for us on just google it that's that's what people always say isn't it (laughs) rexfactorpod on instagram and twitter or x Uh, there is technically a facebook page but ali doesn't update that anymore (laughs) yeah i don't think i've got the app um (laughs) But Discord? Oh, you've got to be a patron for that. But yeah, we're, we're all Become a patron yeah. to join the Discord. Become a patron. Um, if you become stuff. a patron. Yeah, mm. you get so much bonus stuff, it's worth it. If you want to find us, then you can find us at historyofsexy.com and everything is there and you can ask a question or buy a t-shirt or bung us some coffee money. <laughs> and the next question that we're answering is from Tammy Corkish um, and we're going to be hopefully with Eleanor Yanega and we're talking about why do we think that some periods of history are crappier than others and would you necessarily know that you were living in a crap period oh, so we're going to talk about the dark ages <laughs> yeah. everyone's favourite topic and were they really dark and until next time thank you so much for being here not Bye. at all cheerio <laughs> <laughs> 